Well, hello, Mr. Monty Ohm. Hello, Bernie. You know, you were probably, ever since I started doing these game time videos, you were the most requested person, I think. Really? That they wanted me to, to sit down with you and talk about all your Montyisms and your <laughs> Montiness and your emanation tude and all that. Emanation. <laughs> so look, so we are playing today what? We are playing Bayonetta. We're going to play Bayonetta, and I don't know anything about Bayonetta. I downloaded this. I'm going to hit A here and stop this business. Yeah. There we go. Here, I'm going to hand this to you so you can drive. Gotcha. So we're actually playing on Ashley's account because I didn't want Bayonetta to appear on my <laughs> game's history. <laughs> go to Cloud Saves. Gotcha. There's Jinx's photo up there. Gotcha. Don't tell her. <laughs> I well, I actually haven't don't have that much experience with Bayonetta either, but this is my type of game, which is essentially uh, third person action games. This is the type of game I was a designer for when I was in uh, in games. Uh, normal. Should I went hard? No, I should stick with normal. Plus, it has a really strong female character for the protagonist, so it seems like since your show <laughs> has four strong female protagonists, wow, that would be a good thing to do. Yeah, kind of right up my alley. Uh, let's skip these cinemas. I mean, if you, if you want to see a, a walkthrough, go watch a walkthrough. This is game time. I love game time, by the way. How do I skip this? Play. I'll just fill in the blanks here. Since I've never played Bayonetta before, I can tell you the story. So there's this girl. She's on the right. Well, it looks like so. It looks like I can't skip this. I must. It must be because it's our first time. Oh really? Uh, yeah. They want you to watch the cinemas. Well, let's watch the cinematics then. <laughs> okay. Let's see what happens. Hey, this looks familiar. They're falling. Oh, two female protagonists. And they're falling while fighting. <laughs> Actually, no. I am playing this. That's right. I remember this now. I did. I, I I went through the first level. It's very similar to say like a the the DMCs. Uh. I'm more a fan of, like, the Ninja Gaidens and such, but... God, you know what this reminds me of? <laughs> yeah, I, I know what this reminds me This reminds of. me of the first video... You know, it wouldn't be the first video I ever saw of yours, but it reminds me of Dead Fantasy 2, which was one of the first things we discovered from Monty was that he was making videos where he took the characters from Dead or Alive and the female characters from Final Fantasy who I don't know at all, <laughs> and you were having them fight. And one of the the second episode of Dead Fantasy, Dead Fantasy 2, is what, like 15 minutes? It's 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 clear over 10 minutes of just straight nonstop action, which literally <laughs> like 10, 15 minutes of just nonstop crazy over-the-top fighting. Yeah, I remember doing that, and that, that episode almost didn't happen. It was like I, I had a different plan, but I'm like, well, I kind of have to do it this way after I heard the soundtrack that I wanted to use on top of just like... So I'm like, all right, let's start crazy. Uh, let's get crazier. It goes from falling to fighting on a stream of lava to fighting inside a tornado. <laughs> I'm like, how high can I take this? And it, it got, it got, it got crazy. Really, it was so it's 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 incredible because it's like they're they're on a clock tower like this and they're fighting, or it's a bell tower, and then it falls apart, and then they're fighting in the rubble as it falls, and then they end up in a lava stream, and then they're casting spells and. Man, it was just one of the most intense things I've ever seen. Yeah, people still ask me to this day, like, you know, is there going to be a new Dead Fantasy? I got up to five, but... Monty, is there going to be a new Dead Fantasy? <laughs> that, that's, the, I mean, that's, that's the hard thing. It's like, I work for you now. We're doing great things. And, I mean, the path to where I am now had, you know, had to have Dead Fantasy on it. Oh, look at this. This is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at the same time, I also... I mean, How can you just know what you're doing? I would be completely lost at this point. Well, this is like naturally flowing from rubble to rubble. Uh, yeah, no, right. Uh, the uh, 
But, you know, to get where I am, I had to make Haloid and I had to make Dead Fantasy. But, you know, uh, one of the things I go back to saying about that is I did it when I had time to do it. And making Dead Fantasy, making... my guy. Making Dead Fantasy, making Haloid both uh, simultaneously propelled and competed with my life. Like, I had jobs at the time. I was working in uh, video game design when making Dead Fantasy. And uh, not that it was, like, a problem, but at the same time, I had... Uh, you know, kind of, I had to live and, uh, you know, do my work, but also I wanted, there was a dream of certain things I wanted to do, so, you know, it's hard to live simultaneously with two things you really want to do, so eventually it's going to boil down to one, and you got to pick, and I got lucky in getting a job where it's, it's essentially both of them at the same time, but we just uh, ended up making something just really great, which was, you know, the first uh, the first time I worked on Red vs. Blue, which was the last three seasons, or Actually, seasons 8 through 10, because season 11 just finished. Right. And then now we got Ruby. So it's like, well, I mean, that's quite literally a dream come true. I mean, I can't imagine... There are, I mean, I can imagine there's so many anime fans out there who just sit sit, sit, sit sit at home thinking, oh, man, I wish I could make my own show, and this is how I would do it. Well, let's take this back a little bit, because let's go back to some of the first videos of yours that I saw and how we met each other, essentially. Let's go... This is present day of the <laughs> game. We're going to go back to the past days. Um, Buffalo. You, know, you talked about the fans of Dead Fantasy um, wanting more. I mean, you, you do deal with that, where yeah. people are like, stop making Red vs. Blue. Stop making Ruby. Go back to making the original stuff, Dead Fantasy, which actually isn't the original stuff. Haloid was the first thing you made, yep. right? Yeah, pretty much. And so the first video I ever saw of Monty Ohms was... A video called Haloid, and it was a video where you used models from Halo PC. Uh, no, Halo Two. Halo Two. Yeah. And so you use videos or models from Halo Two, and it was essentially Master Chief fighting a bunch of Covenant, and then all of a sudden, uh, Samus Aran from Metroid shows up. Yep. And that's where Haloid comes from because it's Samus fighting Master Chief. A Master Chief-ish character, as you find out when that's you watch it. That's a good point. That is a good point. Spoiler: It's not actually Master Chief at the end. It's uh, two two chicks and they make out. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if you're detail oriented, you'll see that I think it was Spartan three one eight Nicole or something. The, the Spartan that had a guest appearance in Dead or Alive. Oh, should I save? Should I yeah. Do? And so in Dead or Alive, uh, for the different versions start. on the different platforms, they had special characters. And the one on the Xbox was a Spartan mm-hmm. from Halo. On the PS, no, it was a three sixty. A three uh, Dead or Alive four was a three sixty exclusive. And because it was 360... What uh, was the one that had Yoda? Though, that's Soul Calibur you're thinking about. Oh, I am thinking... You're right. You're right. I'm thinking about Soul Calibur. Yep. yep. You are correct. Monty, you know your Asian fighting game better than I do. <laughs> that's right. Uh, DOA has been Xbox, uh, Xbox, Xbox exclusive for a while up until the most recent one, I, I'm pretty sure. Like, uh, well, DOA 3 was the, re- uh, was the reason I bought an Xbox One and, and Halo. DOA 3 and Halo were on Xbox One, so that's when I started playing Xbox and then... Boom. Like, one of the launch titles for 360 was DOA 4, which we were just talking about that launch. DOA 4 was weird because the final boss battle was not a side view. It was over your shoulder. And it was weird to play a fighting game. You're you're talking about uh, Genra, the guy with the double-bladed sword. Uh-huh. And that was actually DOA 3. That is DOA 3. God, you're so much better at this than I am. Yeah. DOA 4 was the dude with the little wooden shoes. No, nope. That was DOA 2. Nope. DOA 4 was the chick made out of water. 
Really? Yeah. And that was Xbox 360? That was 360. Okay, well, clearly I'm right. That's what we're establishing here at the first part of this video. I know what I'm talking about. Because they wanted to to flaunt, like, the ability to have a character who was, like, transparent with the graphics of a 360. Well, he doesn't want to flaunt that. (laughs) So you had essentially a clone of the main character, Kasumi, that was uh, essentially naked and made out of water. Okay. (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh... But, you know, the Dead or Alive franchise is actually, I, based on how much I know about it, clearly it's important to me. <laughs> what do you think is the my favorite fighting franchise of all time? I was – I mean, because I know the Gus story. Yeah. You mentioned it. It was Dead or Alive 2 where you I, worked at the, the call center. Right, and that's how I met Gus because we sat down and played Dead or Alive 2 on the Sega Dreamcast. Yeah. Yeah, that was – Great game on that console. What character do you play in Dead or Alive? Uh, sure. I play Ayane, which is that really purple, that spinny, that spinny chick. That's, that's who Gus plays. Oh, okay. No, wait, no, no. I take it back. That's who Jeff plays, and Gus plays. Who's the one? The she's got blonde hair, and she's got the red outfit, and she's tall and thin. The and, blonde one. Uh, I play Tina. I play the wrestler, the American I, if, wrestler. If it wasn't Tina, then you're talking about Helena, the French. Helena, girl. that's her. That's yep. the one that Gus plays. Um, Ayane, by the way, such a bitch character. She drives <laughs> yeah, she, me insane. Yeah, because she never stops moving, which is why I like her. She's just. I was half tempted to challenge you to Dead or Alive for this for this game time, just to kind of like bookend the Gus thing. I was like, that'd be kind of cool. Actually, I, that would be really cool to do a game time with Gus, just playing DOA too. I would do that. That's actually would be pretty fun. Yeah. To kind of re re uh, uh, redo that. The, she's like the Chun Li of the Dead or Alive. Yeah, series. pretty much. She's fast. She doesn't do much damage, but she's just. Annoyingly, like mobile spinning kicks, got that like that backhanded spinning move. Yeah, mm-hmm. she drove me crazy. Whereas Tina's almost not quite like Zangief because there's a character name. You say Bass or Bass? I think it's Bass because he's supposed to be a rocker. And yeah, it oh god, it being such a Japanese game, of course they'll like name the American characters with the, the most like Americanized <laughs> names. Like I literally expect he's like he's dressed in stars and stripes. He's and basically I, Hulk Hogan, and I expect him to be like downing stakes between matches because it's like th- that. The, the Japanese do a thing where their Americans have to be very American. Like yeah. they have to be the fireworks have to be shooting off in the backgrounds, and they have to be strumming like strumming uh, electric guitars. Well, eagles fly by. <laughs> And you're at Walmart parking lots. What is, what is, what, what what is of, going like, on? Speaking of very Japanese, what is going on right now? I have no idea. I, I'm going I'm gonna bet, <laughs> bet she's about to get naked. Oh, she's disappearing. No, okay, she's she's something. sexy nun outfit. Of course, and he just turned completely black. <laughs> Man, this looks like a combination between like those look like uh, Half Life characters. I I know one of the things. Oh, this is the third sphere. Okay. <laughs> one of the welcome things, to the third sphere. One of the the, the, the takeaways for a lot of people. Okay, start kicking ass. The takeaways that people have about this game is that it really does not give a fuck. It's pretty much falls to the wall. Like, really does does not care how ridiculous it gets. I'm pretty sure she's gonna start sucking lollipops in a few minutes. I think this one, and we're probably not gonna get there. Nice outfit. Uh, we're not going to get to the final boss, but the final boss in this one is particularly ridiculous. Or there is a boss in this that is just absolutely ridiculous, from what I understand. Yeah, this 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 game probably would be more suited to like a long play than, or, or some sort of like full play. I mean, we'll just probably go through the first level if we even get that far. I know there's sequences on motorcycles, but I'm sure there's also more sequences while fighting, while falling. I think outer space as well. I think they make it to outer space. Mother of Mary. <laughs> it's like there's so much stuff from Japanese that they try to translate that just doesn't really translate. Oh, this guy, I think he's supposed to be essentially Joe Pesci. 
What? <laughs> if you listen to his voice, he's he's like a very Joe Pesci-ish sounding character. And this guy's he's very Morpheus, like, like in his demeanor, where he's just uh, the black man in charge. So these <laughs> angels that they're fighting here? Yeah, that's what I recall. Okay, <laughs> he split a coffin with his head. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in here that reminds me of your work, because that reminds me of when Griff fell on the uh, pylon at the end of uh, oh, season yeah. 8, episode what, 10, the text fight. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that was a little bit. Uh, All right, let's, so let's get back and talk a bit more stuff. So <laughs> I saw this video, and it was on game trailers at the time. I believe it is still the number one video on game trailers. And it was Haloid, it was Master Chief, or a Spartan from Halo, fighting Samus from Metroid. And I remember when I saw it, I thought, well, the models are okay, and the textures are okay, and the environments are pretty good, but the animation and the choreography, if you could look drill past all that, it was just absolutely amazing. Like, you had a, like a, a shotgun... Oh, look at that. Come yeah. on, are you kidding me? Okay. Speaking of amazing. Oh, look at this. Outfit change. So apparently she wears her own hair. Like, that's the, that's her thing. Well, who doesn't? Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yeah uh, <laughs> that's one of the things... <laughs> this is amazing. That's, okay. That's... Whoa. That's one of the things that the game companies that were hiring me, too, said about my work, where, you know, um, barring the, the assets, the ideas for what they wanted. And I remember when the, the first game company that, wa- that hired me... Which was Midway Games at the time. Now they're they're known as NetherRealm. Which speaking of assets, <laughs> known as NetherRealm, they're behind the Injustice and as well as the recent mo- new Mortal Kombat. Uh, <laughs> 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 what the hell's going? Okay, so go ahead. Sorry. And um, the 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 director at the time, who was in charge of this title, who which uh, never never made it to the light of day, which I had worked on. For like the title didn't make it to the light of day. Yeah, yeah. It was like a. a, a prototype title like it, that even didn't even have a name i was like are you sure you want me I, I you know i didn't train for this stuff i didn't train for game design i'm not really sure i'm even good for you in terms of animation because the software i use isn't like standard software everything i've done was kind of like a like like my own learning and he's like it, his go-to his he, what he went down what he took it down to was essentially it's more about the ideas than anything, and that's how it resulted as a combat designer, because a combat designer essentially tells better modelers, tells better animators what this game should be. And it's it's about the design of the sequence, the design of... See, I knew it. There were lollipops. You are absolutely right. <laughs> the design of this, you know, how characters move <laughs> yeah, and fight. I thought you were joking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, and so I started in, at Midway Games as a combat designer in 2007 after Haloid, and Man, it was really a different time then. People, I made a name for myself, but honestly, if you look out there these days, there's like a dozen people doing what I did back then. Well, I think art in any form builds on itself. Like, if you look at the things that people are producing now on YouTube, like if Freddie Wong had been making the short videos he makes now, if he had made those back in, you know, 1999... He would be, you know, one of the biggest directors in America because it would just be those that level of visual effects would have been unheard of, you know. But like once people do something and then other people can kind of build on it, you know, then you see more and more people. Wow! Finally, you're at a tutorial part. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> Were you not playing that entire time? No. Uh, well, that that was a cinema. Okay. That, that was quite a long cinema. That was. <laughs> Okay, but so I'm punching. It shows the ridiculousness. But I want to go back a little bit while you're going through the tutorial here and talk a little bit about when we saw the video and before you went off to work at Midway. 
So we saw this thing, and at the time at Rooster Teeth, uh, Red versus Blue was it wasn't our only show, but it was bar you know bar none. It was our our most successful show and what we were known for at the time. And we were at about season five at that point, I think. And we were really trying to find a way to like change things up. And this was about the time, if you've ever seen it, when we produced that test animation piece where we turned Red vs. Blue into a Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, and that was very expensive and very time-consuming, but it was essentially a test to take Red vs. Blue to television. Uh, but the problem with it is, even though we really liked it and we got nothing but positive feedback about it, we weren't really involved with the process. We wrote the scripts, we recorded the dialogue, uh, we kind of drew out some storyboards, and then we shipped it off to these animation houses and just waited for things to come back, and then we ended up just basically being approvals for our own show. So it was never a very exciting or rewarding approach to Red vs. Blue. Then we saw this Haloid video, and I was like, oh my god, can you imagine if we could get this guy to animate some scenes for Red vs. Blue? So... I don't really remember how. I think Gus got your information somehow. What it was was uh, that year that Halo came out, uh, Gus happened to be at Anime Boston. So I met Gus and Esther there at their booth. And I go up to Gus. Well, I, I sent an email to you guys, I think, as well. I was like, hey, guys, I'm, sh I'm showing a video. And I think Gus back to me is like, I think I know what you're going to show. Because, uh, you know, Halo, I put it up on game trailers a, a few hours earlier. And I'm like, I'm going to Anime Boston. I hear you guys are going to be there. Let's meet up. Gus is like... I think I know what you're going to show, because Aloyd was making its rounds around the web. The, admitted to Penny Arcade, Kotaku, plenty of places, the, the whole hub. Hey, you want to talk about back then, this is like, this is, YouTube was around, but it wasn't what it is today. Back then, if you made a video and it was a really good video, pretty much everybody saw it. Yep, that's L right. You, like, nothing was hidden. There was no noise floor like there is today on YouTube. And so, yeah, so you saw Gus at Anime Boston. Yeah, I mean, literally the reason I put it on game trailers instead of YouTube was YouTube's file Watch size flying heads? <laughs> YouTube's file size limit was 100 megs, and game trailers was 200. <laughs> That's that, that was really it. And I think I was just over 10 minutes, and I didn't want to compromise the video, so I was like, I want to, uh, I want it to be the length it is, and I don't want to like cut it any shorter. And game trailers didn't have that 10 meg limit; they were only like, let's as long as it's two, under 200 megs, you're cool. So that I put it up, and that's that's really the reason. I imagine if I put it on YouTube, back I forgot then, about that limit. By the way, I forgot that even existed. Yeah, it's like, I mean, currently, Haloid isn't even on my personal YouTube channel because I just had this policy. Like, I put it on game trailers because that's that was what is it called? activate bullet activate bullet climax. Oh, okay. I just want to say once again, it's bullet climax. Okay, gotcha. This has to be good. Yo, it's beautiful. <laughs> it, it is beautiful. And now I once act, fi I can fire at will. <laughs> oh, what is this? What is this? This is like this game was designed in like a seventh grader's notebook. <laughs> while he, while he's creepily staring at his crush across math class. Oh my god. <laughs> so this game, I love it. So adolescent. But uh, so we got hold of you. So you met Gus at Anime Boston, and somehow. Uh, he got your phone number. We agreed to talk. And I remember we got you on the phone, and I was like, Monty, we want to work with you. We love Haloid. It's great. You were like, hey, that's fantastic and everything. And the funny thing was is, like, you went to work for Midway right after that. I thought, oh, man, we missed our opportunity with this guy. We wanted to work with him, but he wanted to go work for a big company and develop games. 
your interpretation of that phone call was radically different than that. I was pretty much, oh, that was cool. I just kind of got to chill out and talk with the Rooster Teeth guys for a while. I had no idea you, you were trying to hire me. You were like, <laughs> what? <laughs> How is that possible? I was just like, because I, <clears throat> that's the thing. I was a fan of Red vs. Blue since pretty much episode four or five, I think. I remember tuning in about episode five, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. These guys are doing awesome things with this game. I loved Halo. I, was, I played it a lot. Yeah, it, it's, you know, Halo was, I mean, it's it's still huge to this day, but it was a cultural phenomenon back yeah. in those days. A lot. There's a bunch of that's in Halo that's very inspired by, like, times when I was playing Halo. I remember, like... The the, the 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 ultimate move in Haloid was when the Spartan fi- throws the two shields and then no uh, Samus throws the two shields and the Spartan fires this magical like one ricoch- one ricochet kill that wipes that mows down an army. Yeah, she throws <laughs> two energy shields like in parallel, and as it's going past all the Covenant, uh, the sniper rifle just ricochets back and forth between them and kills everybody. Yeah, that's uh, so great. That was inspired by I was on Truth and Re- Reconciliation trying to kill one of those goddamn jackals. They're the get, worst. God, get that little hook in the shield. They where are I'm the like worst. Trying to well, where am I going? Okay, that little hook in the shield where I'm trying to fucking get their hand. Yeah, and this is Truth and Reconciliation, so it's that multi-tiered like gameplay, uh, like uh, like stage. And I'm sniping at this jackal, and it ricochets off the shield and kills a, a, an, a, an elite right above him. And it's not only did I not see it, I, it was all just via sound. Just one of the beautiful things. I just went, and there's no theater mode. Yep. And so I just remember that. I'm thinking, oh man, this, like, it's those emergent, like, situations that happens in a game like Halo, where they give you the tools for cool things to happen, but all of the awesome stuff happens on your own. It's not scripted in any way. Mm-hmm. Where am I going? You know, and we're recording this like right at the end of the 360 PS3 generation of gaming. There's a door over here with a red thing on. Okay. You can go there. Okay. Uh, and so, and the big thing to nope. me about this generation of gaming is how they made it. Whoa, that was cool. We got butterfly wings. Except I can't jump over that wall. No, why would you be able to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can bust out butterfly wings, but that doesn't matter. Go to the other gate. I think, go in there. I think the hint was that picture of that, like when that guy was cowering. Uh huh. And I'm. Shit. This is the part. This is the part of game time where everybody who's played this game is like, "It's right there. It's this? right there." What is this? What is this? But one of the things I love about, I think, the biggest benefit to this generation of gaming was the social aspect. Whereas before, when those moments would happen uh, in gaming, you were they were really cool and you would just tell people about them. But with the rise of YouTube and theater modes and all oh, that, congratulations. Uh, you know, now you can share all those. And I think the next generation is going to take that even a step further. I mean, it's a big part. Hit A to extend your jump. Do it. And I Oh, she's that. awesome. Oh, oh cinema. Cinematic. They even put up the little film strip there on the sides. <laughs> the cinemas in this game are interesting in that they don't actually happen at some point. It's got this, like, this comic book, like, moving comic book feel. Uh-huh. Very cheap animation, if you ask me. Like, where it's like, that's very economical to just have the acting just be the acting. Sure. Anime style. You know, that's pretty typical. Uh, but we we had that phone call. I tried to hire you. You didn't even know that you were being hired. <laughs> you went to go work at Midway. What are some things that you worked on while you are at Midway? Can you even say? Well, that's the thing. It's like a game that didn't even have a title. Well, that you can't say. A prototype. It was combat design. It's, uh, I can say that it was very, uh, uh, along the trend of games at the time, was very, like... Uh, like the game Prototype, like the game Infamous, of kind of like this, but with more, with more. Essentially, it was very ambitious. It's unfortunate that it never, it never got released because there was a really good team on it. 
Did you know there's a lot of things out there that are really unfortunate? There was a Star Wars game. Yeah, I saw that. That was just really recently canceled. I think it was focused on Boba Fett or a bounty hunter. Um, and it looks really good. I remember early on, someone just gave me at RTX this year an original Xbox Halo edition, like this collector's edition. It was really cool. But uh, it was amazing to me because on the back of the box were like three titles that were then subsequently canceled. Wow. And one of them was uh, StarCraft Ghost, which I actually played. What's the kiss that appears on them? I think that's like a target. Oh, can you use your uh, bullet climax <laughs> on them? Give them the kiss. Wow, that's kiss of death. But uh, so you went and worked on a bunch of different stuff at Midway, and then you actually left Midway and went on to another game company after yeah, that. That's right. That's right. Um, while I was at Midway, I wasn't really done making videos, so I was like, "Well, I made Haloid, but I've I've been like a Final Fantasy fan for years, and also a Dead or Alive fan for years. So I'm like, the the franchises and the characters in terms of like their archetypes kind of matched up for me, so I decided to put them up against each other. The resources became available to, available to me. I was getting that much better as an animator, and I wanted to make it because uh, making Dead Fantasy opened up a lot of doors for me, both like uh, professionally and personally. Uh, <clears throat> personally, it's just, I mean, being a Final Fantasy fan, it connected me with a lot of other uh, fans in the genre, cosplayers, people I meet till this day, where it's like they saw my work then, and now I, 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 I like, like they tell me that it has, like, it's had an effect on them. And professionally, because I made Dead Fantasy 2, which we talked about earlier, and the art director at <clears throat> Namco Games, which was in California, wanted me to jump onto their project. And I had been only about a year in at Midway, and I'm like, I had just like kind of gotten to grips with working with the engine that I was in. I was like, okay, I got to move again and learn a new engine. But I was like, and we should point out when this whole journey started, you were living in Rhode Island with your parents, correct? That's right. I was living in Rhode Island, working at a Kinko's. Uh, third right, shift. Kinko's. I forgot about that. <laughs> Working a third shift at Kinko's, where in the dead of night I'd be just doing a bit of uh, a bit of animation, uh, only to wait for the end of my day to go home and do more animation. I also had like a commute to like a. I was working two jobs at the time. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal to me to think about. I was working two jobs, going to the gym, uh, maintaining a steady girlfriend at the time when I made Haloid that took about a little over two months. You know. Crazy. <laughs> You know, when I first met Matt and Joel, and we made a movie in college, I was, at the time, vice president of a telecom company. I was in school, finishing up school, and I was working on the movie uh, at night. And it was like, just, the, and, and like, in the course of three weeks, I graduated college, finished uh, the movie, and broke up with my girlfriend of six years at the time. And, it, I mean, six years, I was, like, 20. So I've been dating her since I was 19 years old. <clears throat> there, I mean, that should be a lesson to anyone who, if you're listening to this le the, to this uh, game time, you're interested in pretty much how we got to where we were. You know, that should be a lesson. You really just got to maximize every minute you got. Or you just want to see some sweet bayonetta tush. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's all sorts of audiences out there. <laughs> no, but it is. I know what you mean though. I think back to that time and think. I know I'm busy now, but I was so busy back then. Yeah. You know? And in those first seasons of Red vs. Blue, the same kind of thing. I was I stayed up every Thursday night to make that show. Us us back then as young whippersnappers had the, ener <laughs> had the energy for that sort of thing as well. Because, yeah, that was a lot of Monty, work. Well, you still work your ass off. Everybody knows that. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I'm getting old, though. You know, getting old. <laughs> well, it's inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> I like that I coughed while I laughed. That's like... 
The first, the first sign. I just, I just got done being sick from like having all sorts of breathing. Problems. All right, well, let's not depress our audience <laughs> with this kind of talk. <laughs> all right, so you went from now you're at you went from Rhode Island, you moved to Chicago to work at Midway, you stayed there a year, and then the art director at Namco says, "Hey, Monty Ohm, come work for us." Yeah, and that's Namco is <clears throat> Namco was in Northern California at in San, in Santa Clara, slash like San Jose area. I mean, that was fun. That's probably one of my like. My second favorite job before like to this because it was it was like it was like this now, but we were rocking making like an actual like interactive product that I would do the same hours. I would do just ridiculous amount of nights and it's just like I was like it was great to just be constantly polishing and polishing something that you knew people would play. Uh, but you know, film is really where it's at. Um, but so like I'd got I'd I'd spent a little over a year at Namco. We finished the game that I'd worked on called Afro Samurai. Which it was right up my alley. It's kind of like this. It's just a lot of combat. It's an underappreciated game. Yeah, it, it pioneered a lot of really good things. Uh, where like there was a there was a, the mechanic in it. The the the, the key mechanic in it was real time slicing, where you could cut someone anywhere. It wasn't pre canned like it like you've known it to be so far. Where you could just pretty much cut anyone in half at any point in their body. Well, if you played the recent Metal Gear game. Yep. That mechanic is almost directly, yeah. I don't want to say lifted from Afro Samurai, but Afro Samurai definitely did it first. Yeah, it was uh, when Metal Gear Rising started coming out. It's like, oh, they're doing exactly like what um, Afro Samurai did, but to the next level, where it wasn't just characters. You could be, which I played Metal Gear Rising, and it's it's uh, surprisingly liber- liberating when you when you're used to playing games and you're used to. Well, I know what I can break and I know what I can't. And then in, you're playing Metal Gear. What the fuck? <laughs> that was awesome. What was that? <laughs> I, to, uh, when you're playing Metal Gear Rising and you're standing on a bridge, and if you just swing your sword the wrong way, that bridge is now falling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was that's because we've we've kind of been subconsciously trained to what we're allowed to interact with with games through the limitations of, well, if I cut this wall, there's literally going to be nothing behind it because the universe doesn't extend that far. Right. <laughs> you it's know. A void. <laughs> yeah, it becomes a void. Of just you know blank polygons or repeating pixels, so that's the sort of thing where again it, it's it's like Halo in its philosophy where it's emergent. You give people the tools to do whatever they want, and you hopefully <laughs> that's that's the hardest part about making a game like Afro Samurai. And I can imagine the nightmare that they must have gone through for Metal Gear. It's like what if the player does this? You know, you remember back in like Halo Two when everyone thought you could like blow up everything. Yeah. You know, I remember seeing an interesting comic. I forget who was it by where like the bridge you're crossing the tank. Uh, in in Halo Two was like Cortana saying like well what now Chief <laughs> you know where um, he blows up the bridge and it's like well you can't get it any farther there goes your game design there goes your 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 your, your entire plot thanks Champ <laughs> so yeah I mean game design goes through a lot of very stringent things where you wouldn't even think of you you like where you just you don't consider it because it works but the limitations are there for to protect to protect you essentially and you know. And, th- and then it comes to stuff like you know GTA, where they're essentially open and they just anticipate everything. And there is a reason why when you watch. Oh, thank God, achievement! Jinx will be happy. Uh, I'm a bit. I mean, which? Oh, I get it. I'm a bit. I'm a witch. No, look at that. So racy. Um, but there, that's a reason why when you watch the credits to a game, about half of the names are testers. Yeah. Because they go through and test all that stuff again and again. Wow, that was badass. And and so that's kind of like I mean I love working in games but it's literally four years straight of making sure it doesn't break 
Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a big part of it. I mean, you, you start off with the the idea of what you want, and then you spend the rest of the time making sure it actually works. That's kind of where, where, where I realize I'm just, I, I think it's really... And the bigger the game, the longer the process. Yeah. That's where I real I kind of realize it's kind of a lot more efficient use of my life to go back in the film. Like you, you start with a vision, you deliver what's on screen, and that's essentially it. You're 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 in no means like you know stuck with the testing phase and then the the feedback when it comes to like the possibilities. You're you're direct to vision essentially. I want to come back to this philosophy you're talking about right here in a second because there's a place where Rooster Teeth is a little different. Yeah. And we are a film production company. Essentially, you know, we're, we're a hybrid of a lot of different things, but we deal with this problem in a really specific way, and I want to come back to that in a second if we can. We, we're gonna, we need to get to that point in the story, I think, of, of, of Monty Ohm and Rooster Teeth. Yeah. So you went to go work at Namco, and you dealt with all of this, and then I guess you were getting to the point where maybe you had worked for major corporation like Midway, major corporation like Namco. And Namco, by the way, the history of Namco in video games is – as far-reaching as any other company. Yeah, Pac-Man. N- Namco made Pac-Man. I mean, they are... Oh, shit, p- I died. Oh, what happened What the hell happened? Oh, I, I think I was supposed to get... I think there was a timer up there or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I should pay attention. Nah, it's okay. <laughs> it's, you'll get it this time. What are you in, like a practice zone? Yeah, it's like when this game is loading, you can practice. All right, beat the hell out of these guys. And if you can't, then I'll let you talk while I beat the hell out of them. Okay. Bullet climax. I love them. But the... Uh, yeah, Namco is a very prestigious company, very big company based in Japan. But at this point, I guess you were done, right? Yeah, we'd finished the game and thinking about what. I to think work you have to get next. torture attacks over here. Is oh, what I'm saying. that's what, oh shit! Pay attention. Yeah. Uh, there oh, you there go. you go. Look at that. I said get a torture attack, you instantly get it. <laughs> what the hell is that? I have no idea how to do that. And then, so you were pretty much done at that point, or you were looking for something a little different. And this is where totally get lucky. At this point, we at Red vs. Blue Rashith, we had moved on. We had made season six. I think we were in the middle of season seven. This is where Gavin is directing, uh, and I was looking at new ways to, to liven up the series. We had changed the storyline up with Reconstruction. Uh, we brought Gavin on to get like a fresh voice and a fresh perspective on it. And then, because Gavin was directing, I went to Comic-Con, and I had some time to go to Comic-Con. Uh, and I was invited to be on a panel, which almost, for whatever reason, never happens for me at Comic-Con in particular. And I looked at the panel, and lo and behold, whose name was else was on the panel but Monty Ohm. And I said to myself, if Monty Ohm is doing that panel, I haven't talked to him in a couple of years, I'm going to go on that panel and talk to him and see what he's up to. Uh-huh. And Monty, I, I, I was like, I wasn't about to do the panel because I just got finished with uh, just a big like run at Anime Expo, showing videos and stuff. And I was exhausted, and I had to get back to work. But I got invited by the ca- to the panel by uh, a guy at Machinima. Yeah. It was Kale Anonymous. Kale Anonymous. And I was, I was kind of like, uh, I didn't even know how big a deal Comic-Con was at the time. I was just like, I, I heard about it. You know, it seems like it's cool. I, 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 but I'm like, you know what? I saw Bernie's name on the email. I'm like, <laughs> uh, Bernie's doing this panel. I got to do this panel too. <laughs> and we probably should have checked a little closely at who else was on the panel because that panel itself turned into a nightmare because one of the other panelists – uh, there was a fourth person on it. I don't remember who that was, but the third person was Keith Apicary, who is this ridiculous character. Literally, he's a character. He's nonstop with his character. His real name is Nathan. The character he plays is Keith Apicary. He was on the panel. He absolutely derailed that yep. panel. Yep. It was a nightmare of a panel. I'm sure it was great for him and his fans, but he was like all over the stage, jumping off the table, acting like a lunatic, and just never let up the entire time. Yep. 
And so Monty and I actually, as a result of that, and this is funny because he actually crashed our panel at PAX a few years later because he made a he made an awesome music video uh, with Yell that is still one of the coolest things I've ever seen online. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Monty and I because we didn't get a chance to talk much because of this <laughs> guy, guy completely derailing the panel, we decided to go out for like coffee afterwards and we started talking. Yep. And that's when I said, you know, Monty, I always forget the fact that we couldn't hire you uh, when we tried to last time. And money says, <laughs> I was like, you were trying to hire me? I, was just like, I thought we were just talking. It, it's funny. So I'm like, I, essentially, I left that with thinking, okay, I got some ideas. Let me do some tests. I still have those tests. It's pretty funny. I show them every now and then at a panel. Like the, uh, let me just download some footage of Halo and put some animation over that and see how this goes. Yeah. Essentially. And it, you know, I mean, a, a few months later, I'm here at Rooster Teeth. And it was funny. We also, like, it's easy to forget. There were like six or like seven months. Where I was like a, the company secret. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you absolutely were. And, you know, I mean, not like we weren't doing as much uh, publicity back then anyways. But every, every time I came up on the podcast, we were just talking about that new guy. Yeah. <laughs> and then we went to the very first PAX East in Boston. And this was now the start of episode – or excuse me, season eight of Red vs. Blue. Yeah. And, and not even that. Like my stuff was like four episodes in. So we showed – 20 minutes. We showed 20 minutes yeah. of, of, of of season eight where it was machina, machina, everyone was having a laugh. You know, Do you see, know that PAX East was like the best panel we ever had because we debuted your animation in Reverse Blue. Immersion. We showed the first episode of Immersion. Yeah. And then we showed – I want to say something else related to like the podcast. Oh, jeez. As well. Was it an RTAA for the first time there maybe? I, no, no, because RTAs didn't start until like after I was like well and working, I think. But that was a crazy fun panel. That was that was amazing. Uh, and I remember I was sitting in the back of the theater, and I was watching through episode one of season eight, episode two, and we got to episode three, and I was like, my heart started <laughs> racing. I was sitting back behind the audience, and I hadn't, I hadn't felt that way in years showing something to an audience. And I knew that we were. There was the moment where the warthog comes crashing through the wall. We wanted it to, to be big. Yeah, we we had a lot. I mean, man, the work that went into that was very like. It, if you have to remember, also, this was downtown uh, at the Congress office in in Austin, where it was just the eleven, twelve of us. Yes, yeah, our office where we were working is what he's talking I'm about. I'm plugging away with some very early R and D for the first few months of of Red versus Blue season eight. No, no mocap. No mocap. Yeah. I mean, and back then the mocap room was. No, not much bigger than this room right now. Yeah, but we we, we had zero mocap, right? Or uh, did we have mocap? It was to getting, start with. It was no, it was getting set up, and I was get I was kind of learning the system. Right. But um, at the time, it's just as my R and D was kind of like you know making its way and just figuring out how this how this was gonna work. You're just like I would like to crash a warthog through the war, through the wall, and that kind of set the precedent for how, like essentially how it would be for us working together. You'd be like, hey, let's do this. I'd be like, all right, let me see what I got. <laughs> would just come mm-hmm. back with something, and it, I'd sat at the corner of the office, so you'd have to come around and see what I was working on, and that happened often. It was like the 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 corner where Monty's working and stuff. Or every now and then I'd look up, or you'd look up, and you'd see the reflection of what I'd be working on in the window behind me. Right. <laughs> you know, there was one day I was building the monitor from some screenshots because we, you know, we didn't have it, and we knew we needed to. Like we were like, ah, oh, it'd be great if we have it, but we don't. But we have these shots we want to put it in, and so I'm like, all right. Let me see what I can do about it. And, you know, later that day, I, it's the monitor was getting built. And it's literally one of our favorite shots of season eight where Griff kicks the monitor. <laughs> I love that. I love that shot so much. And the style for season eight was so different than what it evolved into because 
we were taking Halo machinima and blending in CG elements. Almost like when you shoot live-action films and then you put CG elements and they want them to be as realistic as possible while still looking like they're part of a normal live-action shot. That's essentially the, the way we approach Season 8. It's, it's kind of, yeah, from a VFX standpoint where uh, VFX is the animation – and uh, oh, we're actually making pretty far in this game. I didn't think we'd make it past the first level. VFX, VFX is the animation, and what the <laughs> angel attack? VFX is the animation, and the the quote unquote live action is the machinima. Yeah, yeah, and you know the way machinima is shot, it actually does seem a lot more like live action when you're shooting it because it's a live performance. You're trying to get the camera right. That's a little easier in theater mode now. Wow, money! That was terrible. Yeah. I don't mind telling you. I, what? That was fast. I don't know. Oh, I'm like try I'm like thinking it's a fucking machine gun, and I'm like <laughs> unloading. <laughs> you missed all your lollipops. Oh, but dear. um, but you, we should actually talk for the when you showed up at the office. I remember to work in Austin. Uh, it was right after Gavin left and went back to the UK, and I almost screwed up and made a Mrs. Plane, which would have cost him his visa for like the rest of his life. Uh, you showed up, and I still had some shots I had to get done on season seven. And the very first shot that Monty ever worked on for Red vs. Blue is the shot at the end of Season 7 when Church is the monitor and he blasts uh, CT yep. at the Season 7 CT, who we now know is the rebel leader who took the armor. Um, and the, the laser face scene. Yeah, the laser face scene. And I shot it, and I did it with a Spartan laser and like some trickery. And Monty goes, now nah, we should show that. And I was like, he's a brand new guy, just walked in the office and goes, well, do you think you could do that? And he goes... Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and he makes this huge laser blast that comes out of the monitor's eye. But we did have to machinimate that. We did. Which is like my first like time machinimating ever. Yep. I remember it was like, that was a late night. You were like, it, I got a crash course into like, okay, if this is playing on this box, this person gets this animation versus this animation. Right, because CT's death animation, I wanted to be really dramatic. Yep. And that had to be the host box. <laughs> That we were recording from. This this was the two of us pretty late, and we're like, pile, we got a hornet up high with a guy with the Spartan laser, like piling it at that angle, you know, which, so we can get the proper like reaction animation and impact animation as well as it. And it like the the Spartan laser fired behind the monitor, if you remember. Uh-huh. We, we so we had to like plot the angle. Yep. And fire a few test shots, and we're like marking spots in the ground and stuff. But we just couldn't get it right because like every time we shot the CT, he died. He died the wrong death. And yep. Like, All right, log out. Let's have this be station one. Be this be station two. And it's like okay, we're <laughs> you know the. The, the the just like the handling of like all right you got two controllers in one hand and you're like piloting things around it was it was crazy you know <laughs> speaking of crazy I have no idea what we're watching here <laughs> but no it is it is Monty got a crash course right away day one because here he is coming into what seems like an animation environment and we're doing takes like it's a live action set we're like okay let's just keep rolling keep doing take after take until we get it right and for an animator you'd be like we need to get it right just, just get it right <laughs> yeah. Just- you know, just, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. And uh, and so that was a really interesting point. And I, and I want to point out here, too, that uh, the timeline here. So Monty was there for one of the last shots of Season 7 of Red vs. Blue. Then he went to work. Okay, now was, we're at the title? And, <laughs> Bayonetta. Now we're playing Bayonetta. Uh, but the uh, he, went, he did the, one of the last shots of Season 7. And then he essentially went completely dark until the first episodes of Season 8. So you were just working completely on your own, almost in like a creative vacuum from an audience perspective. Nobody knew how we did that last shot. They kind of had some guesses about how we did it. Um, and then we debuted season eight, 
And you're a guy, if you don't mind me saying, you're very proud of your work. You like to show your work to people and yeah. talk about it and everything else. So for you to go seven months or longer without showing anything to anybody, that was just nuts. And we were committed to keeping you a secret because we wanted this big impact. <laughs> we showed it for the first time. I, I remember, yeah, we, we debuted season eight at, at that PAX. It was, it was a huge audience. There were like 5,000 people in that room. The, 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 the venue that PAX East runs in is at the Heinz Center. That's probably one of my favorite cons, you know. Aside, yeah. Like it's just, it's just okay. Check. 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 <laughs> check this guy. Oh, you're checking for a thing. That's or shoot. Must be one of the vigrid security. Okay. It must be. It must be a vigrid <laughs> security force. It must be. I think the thing that's going on here is she exists in another realm. That's why everyone is this kind of shadow character. Oh, really? Yeah. So to her, to them, she's the shadow. Yeah. So she can like pass through them. That's why she can pass through them. You know, after we did that, that panel, we went right back to the booth, and uh, Jess Kid from the site, Jesse Cowell, he actually did an interview with us. Oh, yeah. That's the, uh, I'll have to link that in a journal somewhere. Um, but it was the first thing where it's like, it's the first time anybody knew Monty was working with us, but we were, you and I were joking around because we've been working together like seven, eight months at that point. Yep. So we were already really familiar with each other. And Monty and I established very early on, I think a very good pattern of the way that we were going to work, a great procedure for it. Like, after we did the first couple scenes together, and I had total faith in Monty's work, uh, he had seen Red vs. Blue, and, you know, I assume had faith in the writing. Um, it was basically what we do is we would I would write and say, okay, this is where the scene ends, and I need the characters to be here at the end of this scene. Yep. You know, I need these guys alive, <laughs> you know, in this. And I, because they're going to go here and do this. And then Monty would just build in between. And then we would talk about stuff. And you'd show me stuff and we'd build stuff. And then Monty was like, initially started off as doing just action and I did just jokes. But then by the end of season eight, Monty was like, especially the text fight scene, Monty knew the character so well. He's like layering in jokes, like that Griff joke at the end of that big fight scene with text. I remember there was no time to make that. And you're like, I, this joke is going to be great. I want to add it. You came up with that at the last second. And uh, it's one of my favorite jokes, I think, in the entire series. That's, that's one of the things I'm big on is knowing your characters. You know, And another benefit we had was, I mean, like I said, I've been watching RVB for, since season one. I'd also just kind of like it, just been in and out on all the special features and commentaries. I essentially like just very familiar with everything. So I kind of hit the ground running with like, what would a character do here? And that's also part of the R&D that I did early on was just quizzing people. I would quiz Jeff and Gus and Joel about their characters. Yeah. <laughs> Those were interesting conversations. <laughs> check this. There's a hole in front of there or something to be inserted. <laughs> okay. I guess I'm looking no for a key. No metaphor there. I'm looking for a key. Here we go. What is this? Check. Object bearing the seal of the sun. Oh, is this a puzzle? We're going to get lost in this now. Here, I'll do it, and you can talk a little bit about it. That way the audience wants to watch you fumble around. They'll watch me fumble around instead. I think it's more of a find this item to, like, get to this spot in the – that looks like a I got Mandragora root. Yeah, but you were quizzing, you said. You were quizzing the people who worked at the company yeah. and the characters. <laughs> there were plenty of lunches where I'd, I'd be with Gus or Jeff. I'd be like, what would – what would Griff do in this situation? He'd be like, I don't fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, with enough, you know, brain picking and, and like, um, just kind of figuring out, like, this, just the scenario and stuff, I essentially, I like being armed. I like being, like, armed well enough to know what a character should do in a given situation. And that's, that's one of my things, what I do when I'm planning out a sequence is, like, I have a scenario, some sort of event, like a move or something like, you know, I want uh, 
I want text to bust down a door or something like that. And it's like, how would they react, essentially? Um, this, this is probably, man, this, so this is like the puzzle section, essentially. Yeah, where it doesn't look like a puzzle as much like Seal of the Sun. But I got this. Don't worry about it. Okay. Whereas, like, so, like, again, uh, you know, when the first, the first, the first scene, you know, uh, Sarge and Wash standing in front of the the wall that the warthog was going to go through. Oh, there you go. Hey, you got the key. Oh, okay. I'm a fucking badass monster. <laughs> that is a big fucking key. Hell yeah, I earned it. My yeah. big ass key here. And it's like I'm talking to Matt, and you know, we're like, oh, oh bitches. Yeah. We're essentially going like, what would he do here? What would like? And there were ver- there were a few versions of how that sequence should play out. Should we go slowly into the animation? Should we bust out fast? We ultimately end up with what we had, which is really the best one, where it's just blow through the wall as fast as possible. Go in with machinima, come out with animation. Yep. And uh, and the scene with Wash like riding on the hood of the warthog, I just absolutely love so much to this day. Yeah, it it was one of those things where, and I'm, a lot of that was done by hand. Uh, <laughs> we have Griff coming in through the wall, delivering some lines, which like, where I think you have to glide to that side. Yeah, I think the first, I think the first indication of like Monty really getting the characters too was the bit where Sarge gets his shotgun back. Oh yeah, yeah, and that was like such a great moment. I got that. This. That was also different because if you like, I remember talking to Matt. It's like the part where Sarge deals with Wash at that point was like Sarge would actually tackle Wash midair. It was a very me thing to do. And then going over it with Matt, he's like, nah, Sarge wouldn't do that. And it, it, it just ended up being the, – the go-to was always like, if it, can't be, if, if it can't be cool, it should at least be funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Do you, like if you remember, I went to you about what if they reverse Meta's time slowdown, and I'm thinking it could be some cool like time stop, like Matrixy sequence. Mm-hmm. And no, it became a joke about how close is his fist going to get to Doc's face before he just before the the sustained momentum or something, the, the the actual momentum like knocks him clear into the wall. Right, it's just moving slower, but it's still moving with the same amount of force, just in a different time phase. That yeah, that was great to watch with an audience too, by the way, because well, I mean, that just goes to show how smart the RVD audience is. They're they're listening to the lines and they're they're piecing together the joke as it happens over the distance. And you're just watching the characters on screen getting so far behind the audience. That was part of the joke. Yeah, and it, that. And you and where my clothes go? <laughs> Not that I'm complaining. And you could hear the audience just getting like, if you if you were there or you seen video, they're just oh. laughing it up. Wow, she she kissed the fuck out of that wall. <laughs> See you later, wall. You got kissed the fuck out of you. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was it was great, and that and that. I mean, led into season nine. We changed our approach with season nine, where we started uh, having the uh, we started having the animation scenes be on their own. Yeah, because the the thing we left with on season eight was we love we love what I did, uh, but there was a sense of limitation by having you know having to merge with Machinima. Let's do a thing that stands on its own, or is like doesn't have to kind of. Feel like it matches because that's, that's right. The that, matching was the hard part. That was the hardest part about season eight: matching the machine mode. And we had dumb conversations about like colors, of yeah. characters. Feel like where you know, text was actually like uh, wasn't black, but like kind of like a dark blue in certain stages, yeah. depending on the light. And we had people. I Tucker mean, Tucker was a nightmare. Yeah, and Tucker was always a nightmare. And 
you know, we had different versions of each color based on the stage they were in. And there were nights where Matt and Nathan were just like on and on about figuring out like just the right colors. Yeah, like Caboose is blue, right? And you think just, well, we'll make a blue character and that's enough. But he's a different color blue slightly than he, on one level than he is on another. How am I going to get over that? I think, think you have to do something with these statues. Oh. I'm gonna, well, there you go, Monty. Activate. Oh, you have to dodge it or something. Listen, Lumen... Alright, I get the feeling this is going to get horrible for the audience in a hurry. You have to dodge it. Like that. There you go. Fuck yeah. And now you can... I think you can... Which time? I think you can glide across. Hell yeah, I can. Watch me. Come on, which oh, time? Oh, you, you froze the water. That's that's what happened. There we Badass. go. Badass. Alright. You got a green laurel. It's always the further we get a game, the more we get lost in it, too. <laughs> so yeah, so matching was always a huge problem. So in with the Freelancer episode, seasons, we decided to have the animation be on its own. And that way it was like you could make wholly owned scenes. Yeah. And so we kind of had that split season nine where we were also, I mean, we were kind of set up to do like the flashbacks as well. We, you know, we had these questions that had been building up about what exactly was this freelancer program? What's going on? Who are these characters? Where did Wash come from? Where, where you know, what, 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 what happened to you? What was with York? Who's this Carolina that we mentioned like seasons ago? Right. And it's like, all right, let's start answering questions, which is always a good thing. It's like you can only... You don't live with a mystery so long, right? So we did season nine. That was a lot of fun. It's like freedom is good, but one of the things I know is, is it's kind of uh, it's kind of a burden is also having too much freedom. So You're, now we've talked about this before. So so what do you mean by that? Well, it's 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 just I mean one of my own personal rules in animation was is and uh, was and is is that you essentially camera in this game. Yeah, it looks like it's like inverted. Yeah, it, it, if it, you if you click it in, it should like center it to where she. Oh, should be you just saved my life. Yeah. Um, where were you five minutes ago? <laughs> um, where essentially I have my own rules. Like you think with Delicious. animation, I mean, it it even exists. Like it's still very prominent this day with a show like Ruby, where you think, oh, wait, we can do anything we want. Uh, rules are very important. To have rules to to stand by keeps you from this limbo of wanting to do everything forever, which is what most artists get trapped in. Well, you get paralyzed by opportunity. Exactly. If, yeah. we, if we can do anything, you kind of think you can. You have to do everything. Yeah, and that's one of the things that was stand apart for me versus a lot of artists. I know that that not only there are more, there are plenty of artists out there, animators who want to make the make it the way I did, films like short animations. But if you go and check, almost all of them are kind of stuck in this limbo of test, 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 test. They'll yeah. put tests out after test because essentially they'll make something. Then the technology will evolve by the time they're done making one part of it that they'll want to move on, move on ahead. So one of my biggest things, and that's currently where I am right now after just finishing Ruby, is hit your R&D phase. Set your limit for how many months you should m make your how, – how high you should raise your bar for your next project. And only live as high as that bar. Because if you if you if you if you're tempted with going past it, you're gonna just get to getting this this notion in your head. It's it's really a philosophical thing. Is well, this could go on forever. Uh, listen, every time, say you know, Red versus Blue is a one episode a week series, and it has been for ten years now, eleven years. Yep. If we have twelve weeks left, and we have to make twelve episodes, they take one a week. Okay. Yeah. If we have a month left, and we have one episode. That episode takes a month. Yeah. Everything takes as long as you have. Yep. And that's why you have to set those lines of we're going to get it done by this date. I mean – Otherwise, you go back and change stuff and tweak it yeah. and fix this. Yeah. 
even, it's even, always the case. Even currently, I'm in an R&D phase just to make the next project, you know, that much better. But I also know there's still a ceiling. I'm not going to live in this world of infinite possibility. So if you're out there and you're an artist and you, you're wanting to do something like kind of I did, you kind of have to just know that know your limits. Mm-hmm. And your limits isn't 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 going to be particularly skill. It could be time. It could be resources. It could be budget. It's, it's always going to be something, though. Yeah, and let's go back because I said I wanted to come back to this. Now, you were talking about when you were at Midway mm-hmm. uh, and you were working on an engine and then you were at Namco and you were working on things there. And it's just like I could just keep working on this stuff and it's a four-year process of making these video games uh, before anybody sees them. The How could I not enter the gates of hell? Of course I want to do that. <laughs> uh, you know, And you could just keep do- going and doing that if you wanted to, right? You could just keep that up. Mm-hmm. But the uh, – the thing is you've got to make a change sometimes. And after three years of making Red vs. Blue, I remember sitting down with you going, Monty, you can animate Red vs. Blue for the rest of the run of the season of this series. We can just keep doing this. But that's just eventually you're just going to hate it. You're just going to burn out. Is there anything, Monty, if anybody can make a show, new show, we think it's you, is there anything that you want to oh, do? Oh, it looks like the gates of hell are where you buy your guns. Oh, let's do that. I'll buy some guns. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. like This was like cleared like at the end of season 10. I mean – that was a that was a bear of a season, right? There's yep. like ten years of this project, ten years into the show, and three years into having animation, we kind of like hit a mark where we're like, this is this is this, you know, we, could, we in, in the story where like let's make let's let's do let's let's pull out all the stops as far as like doing the you know, there's a beating heart, <laughs> but at you know at the time of finishing RVB season ten, like we were about like three months from finish, I just kind of started coming up with this idea of another show. And its concept already existed within uh, like a genre that kind of lives in limitations, where it's kind of it's it's essentially air dodge. I mean, yeah, sure. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> where it's anime inspired in the sense that anime doesn't aim for the tip, the the you know the 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 highest level t- type of rendering. It's essentially stylized. Which stylization can be a substitute for reality. So to do an anime-inspired uh, show meant that we didn't have to ha- use as many textures as we needed to. The shading didn't ha- need this type of lighting or this type of realism because it essentially uh, it could it could it could be done it could be done economically, which was my my ascent, my go-to for for Ruby, the show that I'm working on now. And so I kind of. I, I've, I've had some standing R and D I'd been tinkering with from previous years, as well as just what I hit. What I hit was a was a <clears throat> essentially a name, uh, like kind of like a, a, a theme to go by, which was the colors, which <laughs> nothing new for us. You know, go from re- re- going from red versus blue to red, white, black, yellow. Yep. <laughs> which is so it's like I I kind of was like half asleep one day in June, and I came up with the idea of. Uh, a team of girls based on colors, red, white, black, yellow, which is what the show's about now. And so that's the show that we just finished. Like, it's it's November now, right? It's mm-hmm. November, right? It's November, yeah. <laughs> it's November. <laughs> and, uh, Monty's actually getting on a plane to go to Australia tomorrow. Yep, and the DVD comes out this week, which, man, we're excited about. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome to... And then the limitation stuff that we're really uh, 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 evolving past is now we have a show that's our own universe. And we can like we can we're not encumbered by okay is this too Halo is this not too Halo, or is this too like you know essentially or or even the history of characters like would we do something that's with Caboose that's not very Caboose 
Right. I mean, there does there is a certain weight and an expectation that comes just from the audience after running the series for so long. So, like this show, Ruby, which ha- just finished is just about to finish its first year, it's finding its footing with these characters, and I expect it to evolve because it's it's emergent like the best games are, like Halo is, you know, where we're essentially putting in the seeds for the story right now. We're, we have an idea of where the characters should go, but more than anything, that's going to be emergent, which is uh, the, the arcs for the characters and who they've become. Because, you know, it, Ruby right now, is, it's about growing up. We start off with these teenage characters who are going to evolve over time. So in speaking about the evolution, I mean, you go back to the, one of the first things we talked about, Applaud. Oh, no. Hey, <laughs> hooray. Uh, talking about evolution is that when you know we first started talking about Dead Fantasy and people saying, hey, stop all this stuff. Go back and make Dead Fantasy. But it's like this is what Dead Fantasy and that process for you evolved into is now yeah. Ruby is an original version of what Dead Fantasy was. Oh, are you going to you know? hit? You're gonna hit? Yo, oh. you're, build, you're building on all that. And just like when we were doing – the animated version of Red vs. Blue, we put out that test piece, people always ask us, hey, whatever happened to that? It's like, well, it wasn't a good fit for what we like to do, and we found a better fit. We found this guy, Monty Ohm, and we started doing animation that was more our style, and we had more of a direct impact over what it looked like and how it felt, and made sure it fit in with the characters. And oh, it's, man, like, it's like people say, "We, I wish you would go back and make that, but they, I, they, I don't think they really do. I think that they just want to see the best thing, and the, the, you know, I think what we did was the best version of that. I really do. Yeah, and so there's a lot that goes into Ruby, like in terms of their sequence, in terms of their ideas, that and, and and character, which is, I mean, in a way, it's, I mean, I mean, I like Final Fantasy. It has, it's, it's had its influence over me. It it it'd be it'd be wise to say that a lot of Ruby is influenced by the things I like, including Final Fantasy. So you might see aspects of Dead Fantasy in Ruby, and it's like. Barring the actual like name of the character and how they look, you're essentially watching the same thing, but with a freedom to go with it as I please. Because if I do what I if I do so, oh you got like a weapon. <laughs> what? Look at me! And so to do what, what we do with Ruby, uh, you know, and we'll we'll honor the characters we made is essentially. I mean, it's what I wanted to do all along. Uh, very few people know this, but before Haloid. I wanted to make original films. It was kind of a compromise on my part to be like, okay, I'm spending eight months. I'd spent eight months on this one particular film. It, it was called Road because I grew up in Rhode Island. And it was me and my and my dumbass friends, just the jokes we had had and, like, the games we played. And, like, you know, and I, I would always go to my friends. It's like, oh, if I made this show with us as a character, you know. You put your friends into, like, fighting games, too, yeah, I remember. Yeah. your early videos. It started as an homage to fighting games, which was something me and my friends would play a lot, and started evolving into the animation I have now. And I'd spend months. It started as weeks to months to, like, almost a year on a single video, and no one watched it. And then I realized, well, there's a reason no one's watching it, because my original ideas are kind of crap. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of new to this filmmaking thing anyways like let me get good at this first and kind of earn the right to tell an original story so to do Haloid was a sense of compromise I'm like let me use uh, an existing set of characters and learn how to honor that first before I go ahead and decide to make my own and I've actually made this analogy before where um, you know in some ways you could call it a sellout I did some I did fan art essentially I used other people's IPs and made a video out of it, compromised what I would have called or what, at the time originality, but 
for for better sake because well my original ideas weren't that good, and to do fan well you just shot me. Whoa! Yeah. Holy, holy shit! Uh, okay. Okay, here we go. And so to do fan art, fan videos, uh, I've 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 kind of compared it to a sense of apprenticeship, where you go off the work of others, and you you mimic them. And then uh, afterwards, you start evolving off them until you're free to do something on your own. And that happens a lot in... I think a lot of art starts as mimicry, though, in a way. Yeah, especially. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, co- that comes down to, like, you know, uh, visual arts, performance arts, martial arts. You start, off fu- uh, you start off in martial arts punching the way your sensei will tell you how to punch. And you're all standing in a line with, like, 60 other people all doing the same punch. I got my wings. But eventually, you're going to learn to branch off in your own style. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at, like, uh, Bruce Lee or Jet Li in their early videos, they had a completely different stance than they do in their later videos because they were very formed and very, like, uh, you know, hammered into doing one way. And after given years and years of experience, they learned to do it their own way. And so, you know, three years of RVB, What's that? seven years of fan art or, or so – and I'm finally ready to do a show. It's like, all right, I came up with a show called Ruby, and I I think it's pretty worthwhile. I think it looks like something. He's down. Go go kick, go kick oh, his ass. Go kick his ass. I got him. There you go. Okay. You busting his armor. Yeah. Is it a thing in the back? I gotta get. It looks like it. Yeah. Yeah. So after all that, it leads to you making your own IP called Ruby. And yeah. And now, oh, I'm dead. <laughs> <sighs> See, girls can't fight. <laughs> Monty, you made the show. You made the show all wrong. Uh, yes, of course I would. At least it has rose petals. There you go. It's very elegant. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I could, I could not agree with you more. It's like you, you grow and you evolve as an artist, and now you're doing your whole own thing. And you're contributing something new, and probably people will see that, and probably people will get inspired by that, hopefully, and, and they'll make their own thing. I mean, we're already seeing Ruby fan videos and Ruby like fan games out there. It's pretty crazy. Uh, like, and not only and fan art. I mean, in some ways, I mean, in terms of the art, in some ways, it's better, like far better delivered than the show itself because we got artists out there. There are t- so many talented people who are just they draw and they draw and they draw, or they make costumes, or and, they make yeah. costumes for that matter. And it's really good. I mean, part of Ruby as well is like I've like in my in the journey to, to where to get to where I am, I've been watching other artists and I started including them in Ruby because you know they have their own journey too, like uh, concept artists that I've been watching for years and environment artists, and so that's actually in the show. So if you're out there making stuff, I can guarantee you someone is seeing it. And if you just keep going, someone will notice you. Essentially, which is which is my story. I did it because I knew it would be good, and I didn't do it because I wanted to get a job, and and then eventually someone noticed me and, and hired me. So, I mean, a, a, an answer we always come down to is that whenever it comes to, like, how do I get a job at Rooster Teeth or how do I succeed, essentially, we just always tell them just to keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Yeah. yeah just, or just start. Just get started. We're, yeah. That's the main thing. Because you're never going to predict the landscape of what art, games, film is going to be in seven years. Seven years ago... I didn't know what I, I didn't know where I'd be, and I didn't know I'd end up here. I couldn't, have, I couldn't even fathom like watching Red versus Blue on my PC in my brother's basement that I'd be working here, and it would look nothing like what I was, what I was seeing on screen, you know. So, but the only thing to focus on is just doing it and just making it the best you can. So, hey, Monty, so how did you start? Like, what, what got you into animation? I know this is kind of a story unto itself, but. 
What was the first thing you did? Like, what got you into it? Like, I'm going to make 3D animation. Well, I, it's a funny thing because the program I'm using now is still the program I used when I, when I found it when I was, like, 14 years old. It's Poser. And I'd been working in a computer lab at my high school, and it just happened to be sitting there on the hard drive. Uh, Poser 2. We're at, like, Poser 14 now. <laughs> 2014 now. Or yeah. Poser 10. They sponsor the show. They sponsor the show, and they're great because they give us great feedback. We give them feedback. Well, it just got horned. <laughs> it happens. Um, and oh, you're I, fucked now. The funny thing is, this was Poser on a Mac, and I happened to have access to that's that's a some sort of what? Oh, there you go. There we go. This 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 seemed to work last time. It did. Um, I just and this was back on this was before Mac OS X. This was on Mac's like oh you know the the Finder from like you know the original Mac twos, and I copied uh. I copied it onto a zip disk. I copied it onto two zip disks. It fit on two zip disks at the time. Brought it home with me, started tinkering. And I remember uh, Poser... Mash B, Mash B. There you go. Poser was... Oh. Yes, um, was running on a Mac at the time, and uh, I had Poser, and I had Cinema 4D, uh, which I'd gotten off of like uh, a, a magazine called 3D World Magazine, which they would have like a, a, an in-packaged... Uh, disc as well, and it was like an older version, so it was free. And I was tinkering with them. Jeez, porn. I was tinkering with them both, and I just found Poser much easier to work with because it's essentially built around animating humans. And uh, I kept at it, like on and off, uh, for a long time. It was Poser while I was at school. Poser while uh, uh, while when I every day when I got home from school. Uh, Poser when I moved to New York and tried to become an actor. Poser when I moved to California and just, you know, worked at cafes and just would, you know, go dancing all the time. And Poser when I got moved back in with my parents after pretty much everything I'd done and tried to get into film on my own had failed. And Poser for, like, <clears throat> five years straight of, like, okay, I've been using this program for a while. I'm pretty familiar. Let me see what I can do with it. And uh, not much about it had changed since Poser 2. I was at Poser 5 at the time, I think. And uh, I bought it. I bought the, the, the latest version because it, it got a new feature, a few new features, and I was like, let me start animating. Uh, I wasn't good at it. I was very, I mean, I wasn't good at it to start with, and to this day, I, I use it in a, in a kind of a format that it was not, it's not built for, but works really good for. Uh, it, it boils down to that again. I just kept going. And so, uh, I learned to start keyframing things, and, uh, I mean, back then, I didn't even know what a nonlinear editor was. I didn't use Premiere. I did it all in Flash. I would export the frames, and then essentially I started being able to make videos. And it, it was about the time in the Internet where other people were making videos too, but they were doing it on Newgrounds. Right. Flash you animation was big when we started too. Flash animation was a big deal because the bandwidth for video wasn't really out there yet. Nope. And was, the audience wasn't ready for it either, I don't think, at the time. And so, knowing Poser the way I did, I knew I could... There you go. Whoa. Whoa! Get ready! <laughs> knowing that I could do what I could do with it, I knew it would be unique because I wasn't seeing anything like it at the time. <laughs> Jesus. Are you what? kidding me? Speak, oh. Gigaton. Okay. 350, 400 gigatons! <laughs> Whoa. That will teach you to mess with a woman after she gets her hair done. Um... And so I knew I could deliver something fairly unique in its in its in terms of like its output and assets and stuff. Uh, lovely, very very lovely, very lovely. There's there's a giant axe. I'm totally gonna pick that up. 
Wow. Well, it shrunk, but... Yeah, well, you know, it's cold outside. <laughs> don't, make, don't make fun. And so, and then, so you just kept with it and, like, always went back to poser, always honed your craft and your skill. And that's what I try to tell the young people, too. It's like, even if you, the stuff you make you don't put out, it is... Oh, it is always time well spent because it's just you're getting better at what you're doing so that when you do show it to an audience... It's going to be awesome, and they'll be amazing, and you'll find incredible people to work with. Yeah, and I, <clears throat> I would stress it's it takes time. You cannot you cannot make light of this. It took me five seven years to actually kind of make it. Uh, it's an answer that nobody really wants to hear. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what's the secret? This the if there's any common thread to people getting stuff done and building a career, it's hard work. Yeah. And very few people actually want to hear that answer, but it's the most consistent answer. Yeah, pretty much. I was, I was heard, uh, gosh, there's a great saying I heard, which was Whoa. that um, if you want to be really successful in life, uh, either make yourself more talented, which you can't do, or work harder, which that's the thing you can control, you yeah. know? It's that you can't just instantly make yourself more talented. You could, you know, be a person who genetically is a great athlete or, you know, a, a, a concert pianist, you know, some kind of prodigy. Probably you're not. I'm not. Yeah. You know, but so you just do that through hard work and honing your craft. That's funny because I remember people telling me while I was growing up that I was well, – Yeah, I got a little distracted. I was checking my audio levels. <laughs> the, that I was going to be successful, but – me assuming that I was going to succeed all my life didn't amount to anything until I sat down and actually worked on it. I'm going to let you play now. Um, here we go. I got a, I got a big axe. Well, Monty, we've been talking for over an hour at this point. I think uh, well, I want to say thanks for sure thing. Si- sitting down. I think probably it'll be, you know, as much as we've worked together and as much as we can talk about, like, different philosophies of production and the way you do animation. Yeah, this could go on forever. We could, we could talk about <laughs> We could bring you back for another game time. But sure thing. Monty, I think it's... A, Incredible! It's I can't believe how long it took us to get to work together, and now that we work together, it's been a lot of fun. I think we've made a lot of great content that many, many people have enjoyed. Yeah, that's the, that. It really is the best part of my day. I mean, I, I, I've, 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 you know, I consider Rooster Teeth the to be the best company to work at, bar none in the entire world, because there's nothing like it. It Rooster Teeth itself is an emergent company. It emerged from the necessity of like the environment of the internet. Where, you know, when this stuff happens on its own, you can't replicate it or create it artificially in any way. It just, it just, it just came to be. So like, and then what? How? How? Whatever way that it managed that I ended up here, I, I couldn't have predicted it. And you know, if if we had to do it all all over again, it wouldn't have happened the way it did. So no, nope, probably not. It wouldn't have been like this. It wouldn't look the same. That's for sure. Yeah, ex- exactly. So yeah, I mean, that's the only thing we can do. And to to say we've gotten this far doesn't doesn't even mean we assume that we're there. Well, like f- because of the path the path it took to get here, we just keep working because we know. Oh, yikes. Jesus, yikes! We just keep working and like following, just stay true to the philosophy that got us here. So we're you know because because we think we've quote unquote made it doesn't mean we're gonna stop. So like we just we just. I just want to get back to work. <laughs> that is to say we're not adaptive. It's important to be adaptive, but at the same time, you got to hold on to what works and what makes you unique and what you do well and what people identify mm-hmm. uh, with you. You know, what's what's the key, the key trait that people identify in your work? And you got to stay true to that, but you still got to stay adaptive. Yep. All right, Monty, here's to many more years to come, many more seasons of Ruby. Looks and who knows, maybe <laughs> even a return to some 
Red versus blue animation. The witch hunts are over. Not an omen that my character died <laughs> to say said that. Not an omen at all. Monty, thanks for sitting down with me. Thank you, Bernie.